The following episode of The Book Guys is rated explicit for content and may contain lots and lots of violence. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. Guys show is brought to you by Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash bookguys and get a free book just for signing up for a free trial. And we're back, gentlemen. Books, audiobooks, audio dramas, and podcasts. My name is Paul Alves, also known as Paul the Book Guy. And joining us this week, Mr. Greg Ott. Greg Ott. How you doing, Good Greg? evening. Good evening. And uh, we are joined as always by our good friend. Sir Jimmy. Yeah, Sir Jimmy here, just <laughs> unfollowing everybody who uses true twit validation service. Oh, I hate that. Amen <laughs> to that, brother. It's a follower killer. <laughs> you just leave it on and watch your followers go down. And we are also joined by the professor himself. Now, Marianne's not here, but the professor is Mr. <laughs> Alan Middleton. How are you, Alan? In the morning, gentlemen. Very well. Just uh, working on getting you a jingle, of course. We are joined today by special guest author Mike Luoma, who also runs GlowInTheDarkRadio.com. Hello, Mike. How's it going, gentlemen? Very, very well. Good to have you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me on the show today. We're going to talk a little bit about your work. I was uh, scanning your site there, and uh, I think I have a whole bunch of my uh, future listens, as I'm an audiobook aficionado. Uh, I've got a few of them out there. So there's there's the Vatican Assassin Trilogy, and now there's The Adventures of Alibi Jones. Alibi Jones. Well, yeah. Before we get to that, uh, Mike, we're going to tell everybody that we have a winner in our Netflix contest. Uh, We were going to be judging all the book guys and the future book girls. Uh, We're going to be judging, but we only had one contestant come in. So... He's the winner. Taryn Santos and Maya Santos, friends of mine, actually. They'll fix. (laughs) If you think you can't win, if you think that the pool is just too big, this is not like the lottery, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, you know, we've had this before in in contests. And we're like, you know, uh, people think that, well, there's no point to be taking a picture dressed as a superhero. I'm just going to, you know, make a fool of myself and not have a chance. You would, if you had sent in your your, uh, entry, folks, you would have had a 50 50 chance. Oh, it's if you, a shame if you make that was a, a great prize. It was. If you make a fool of yourself, you know, especially sending a picture, there's a good chance we might cheat and you will win. That's right. <laughs> you know, I'll be honest with you. You know, if, if, if it's to the point, like we've, we've done it before. We had uh, three people chime in on a, uh, you know, two item contest and we've still sent the third person something. So sign up, sign in. Uh, yeah, they'll be receiving their Apple TV device and six months of free Netflix certificate in the mail sometime this week. So good for you. And the picture's up on the site. I'll put it in the uh, show notes for today's show. So, uh, gentlemen, we are joined by Mike Luoma himself, glowinthedarkradio.com. 
And uh, Mike, uh, your, your, your trilogy, the Vatican Assassin series, <laughs> right away, see, just seeing that title, that sounds interesting. Yes, and, uh, I first put it out back in 2005, so it well predates any Charlie Sheen type of stuff. I just <laughs> want to make that clear. You know, in fact, he may, be, he may have been one of your uh, early listeners. Well, I, I have my suspicions, but nothing that, that's <laughs> provable. So. so it's a sci-fi. T- tell us about it a bit. It takes place in the year 2109. And my lead character is this guy named Bernard Campion. It's BC for short. And he actually works for the Pope of the new Catholic Church. It's a new united church that's brought many of the Christian religions together under one banner. And under a Pope, which is, at this point in time, he's a little bit shady and has what he calls the Office of Papal Operations. That takes care of some dirty work. And BC works for this office, the OPO taking care of some of this dirty work, eliminating people for the Pope as an ongoing interplanetary war is taking place. <laughs> nice. So, so there's been an amalgamation of, of the, the, the different Christian faiths have amalgamated, and I believe uh, in, in your novel, also, in your novel series, the uh, Islam has also uh, amalgamated all the different factions. They've pulled together in, in light of, of basically an ongoing war that's been happening over the course of the century and they got actually forced off the planet earth and they are living now in some old japanese colonies on mars so they're kind of based on mars the moon is acting as a kind of neutral space and earth and earth orbit is controlled by this group called the universal trade zone which is allied with the new catholic church nice and uh is there any any room left for the pastafarians I think they'd be on the moon. <laughs> Neutral territory. Neutral know. territory. I have a quick, a quick clip here, Mike, from the uh, the Vatican Assassin series. Uh, if you don't mind, I'll play it. That'd be great. Welcome to the first chapter of my science fiction adventure, Vatican Assassin. I'm the writer and your reader, Mike Luoma. You can find out more about my books at glowinthedarkradio.com. Now let's get into the first chapter. Acts 2.20 The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. The moon, our bright light in the night sky, a cratered white orb shining on a field of stars. When she shines full, you can see the glint of metal off of mankind's home on her surface, the main city on the moon, Lunar Prime. The moon, now home to more than a million people, an independent state not allied with either of the factions in the ongoing war between Earth and Mars. Both sides in the ongoing war seek Lunar Prime's favor. Both sides respect and maintain the peace of Lunar Prime. It's one of the few homes of mankind not involved in the war. It's one of the few places the two sides can still meet as they try to negotiate an end to the bloodshed when they bother to try. The governor of Lunar Prime, Meredith McIntyre, is popular with leaders on both sides of the conflict. She's used her position to gain power for both herself and for Lunar Prime. Her stature makes her an attractive ally and an attractive target. She's using her power to bring the opposing sides together with a peace conference on the moon, a conference gathering representatives from all involved parties, the Universal Trade Zone, the UTZ, who control most of Earth, near-Earth orbit, and who once controlled the moon itself. The Universal Islamic Nation, the UIN, who control Mars and the Maglev shipping highway connecting Earth space and Mars. The New Catholic Church, allies of the UTZ. 
the NCC with a small c to represent Catholic in its broader sense, the New Church, which includes all of Earth's Christians, except for the Mormons, ever since the Great Reunification of 2104, five years ago. Representatives from other faiths are also present at the conference, invited to participate by the governor. Many faiths are now based on Lunar Prime, forced or otherwise driven off of Earth during the 70 years of fighting between the Christian UTZ and Muslim UIN. The governor has invited the representatives of these other faiths to attend to hopefully cool some of the heat between the two foes. The war has been raging hot and cold since 2041, since the destruction of Jerusalem. It's still not really clear who was actually responsible for the destruction of the holy city. But each side naturally still blames the other. After Mecca was destroyed in 2070, there was no turning back. So it sounds like it's uh, pretty serious there with uh, the destruction of uh, the holy lands, both in well, Israel and Mecca. Yeah. And... I figure you got to start with the stakes pretty high. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you set the bar pretty high right there. Uh, you so know. what's going on? Did the uh, the Mormons did they opt out? They opted out. They didn't <laughs> want a pope. We got an opt out. Opt out. <laughs> there you go. So there's three three in that series, and I, I believe uh, all your all three of those in the Vatican Assassin series are also available on PodioBooks.com. They are. They're available as uh, free downloadable podcasts through PodioBooks, and and that means, of course, they are available on iTunes as well for free. Nice. Nice. And your other series, Mike, tell us a bit about that. Well, we've got Alibi Jones is a new series. There's uh, one novel out, and there's also a collection of short stories that are available, and those are both available at Patio Books as well. Alibi is actually the son of BC, and these stories take place about 23 years after the first trilogy in the same future history. Wow. Nice. And Glow in the Dark Radio, there's a lot of stuff here. I mean, it looks like you've been a busy man. <laughs> well, I also do comic books as well as doing my, my own novels. And not only do I, I put those out as podcasts, but I also publish the novels as ebooks and as, as actual print novels. You can get them through you know, most online bookstores. So, um, but I, I, I love telling stories. And I started with Vatican Assassin and putting those out and actually released them myself. And then kind of started expanding what I was doing, working with some more people, working with other people as far as like artists. And um, it's just kind of ballooned from there. And I'm working with a, a company out of California called Earthbound Comics, now putting out comic books as well as, as putting out my novels. Oh, this is great. I'm, I'm looking here at uh, some of the comics. You know, uh, Professor Allen knows I likes me and my comic books. Absolutely. And uh, there's a lot of comic books that you can read here for free. You can uh, get it for your Amazon Kindle. Um, interesting. Are you, are you the artist on these as well? Only on my very first uh, comic that I put out, which was Holy Shit or Pat Robertson is the Antichrist. I told you that explicit tag would come in handy. There you go. Well, it's the title of the book. So it's the And he um, said he wasn't going to be the one who used it. I was trying not to. <laughs> but um, after putting that out, I got some real great critical acclaim, especially for the writing. But most of the critics were like, hey, great writing. You know, the art's a little rough. So I, um, I started working with other artists after that. And I did a series called Panthea Obscura with an artist out of Argentina named Juan Carlos Quatordio which was a four-issue series, and that was kind of like my first foray into doing comics. And I did that on my own, put it out, and learned a lot doing it. 
and uh, since then have done a combination of doing my own thing and, and putting some books out with Earthbound. I've got a pretty good contact with like one of the guys at Image who keeps shooting down my stuff, but he at least <laughs> looks at it. So um, I, I got to say this Glow the Dark Radio is really well set up because, uh, I mean, as, as we were talking, I, I managed to I'm, – I'm reading one of your comics on my MacBook right now. This is great. Oh, cool. You don't need any software or anything. Fantastic. And, and, and as always – so the the Vatican Assassin series sounds like a great premise. It reminds me of one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite comics of the late '80s. I guess was uh, Chuck Dixon uh, wrote a series called Evangeline, which I think was twenty second or twenty third century, but featured a you know vigilante nun um, getting her instructions from the cardinals and the in the uh, in the Vatican in a in a sci-fi future, I, I love that that concept, and definitely going to check out the uh, Vatican Assassin. I think once any corporation or group gets to the trillion dollar level, you got you almost have to hire an assassin. <laughs> it, it it it's just good business. Policy. It helps, or at least you should know a guy, or know a guy who knows a guy. That's right. <laughs> the only reason I know about Evangeline is that Matthew Sweet wrote a really cool song about that. I've actually never read that comic. Hmm. So uh, glowinthedarkradio.com. Folks can go and check out your stuff. And of course, if you and if you enjoy, if you go to the patio books and enjoy his uh, work there, you can, uh, I believe you're also on Audible and some other places. I've got uh, just Alibi Jones is at Audible. Okay. Um, but I, I, I've got my stuff, as I said, at, at iTunes as far as the, the audio goes. My eBooks are available pretty much everywhere. You can find my eBooks for pretty much every device, which is kind of neat. I, I love the, the new paradigm where you can put your own stuff out. Yeah, you, you don't need the van full of books anymore. It's, uh, you know, you get out online and really crush it online, and uh, next thing you know, you're selling books. I started doing my own uh, print-on-demand publishing back at the end of 2005, so I was kind of mm-hmm. early on that bandwagon and managed to get Vatican Assassin out uh, at the end of that year and got it on Amazon and, and kind of was able to establish sort of beachhead before the the grand crowd figured out that you could do this and arrived en masse behind me kind of. Yeah, so, yeah, it seems like uh, a lot of people are going with that print-on-demand now. Uh, I mean, yeah, when was it that you did it again? I, I started in 2005. Oh, yeah, you were right the right the beginning. That's all. At the Vanguard. You should have just taken print-on-demand, turned it into pod, and come out with your own series of internet shows and called them podcasts. <laughs> Well, I didn't start podcasting until the end of 2006, so I was a little slower to that game. But I did that for the books. That's that's why I started podcasting is I wanted to put out word about my books. Yeah, and for those of us that are really, I, I prefer to absorb a book uh, via a book. <laughs> that's my new word, book. I love absorbing books by uh, by audio because it's just like like today. I, I would have had the choice between sitting and reading a book or cleaning up my garage and doing some stuff around the house and cooking, you know, mom some uh, happy Mother's Day dinner. But I, I didn't have to make that choice because I could barbecue, clean the garage, and still listen to uh, Stephen King's latest novel. Are you able to actually concentrate on the book when you do this? See, now we, we've discussed this before at work. I can't do that. I, I have to I be have doing uh, menial tasks. I, I can be doing it cleaning the garage. I can't be doing it like writing emails or... No, anything that involves text or thinking about other words <laughs> and other than the ones that Stephen King is uh, putting into my head with his high-pitched voice, 
Um, yeah, no, I can't. You're right. I can't do certain things. But yeah, uh, shoveling I do my snow, best listening when I'm when I'm driving, even when even if I'm at work and, and I'm doing something that's menial, like repetitive, such as we tend to do, it it uh, it sometimes gets lost and I have to rewind and, and catch things. Oh yeah, there's a reason there's that rewind thirty seconds button. <laughs> Absolutely, you know it's yeah. But uh, again, it's not as uh, impossible as it is uh, you know reading a paperback while driving. Not recommended. <laughs> or or barbecuing or doing a whole host of household duties. That's right. Uh, now, now, Mike, uh, as far as audiobooks, when did you get into uh, – when, when did you get the idea to, to put it on audio? Well, um, I, as I kind of mentioned before we got started, and so let me, I guess, say again, I, I work in radio. And I got laid off from my regular radio job in 2006. And – while I was looking for a new job, I was looking for things to do to keep my skill level up and also looking to promote my book, which I had just put out. Right. And I was like, huh, what's this podcasting thing all about? And so that's when I started to look into it was in September of 2006 and started putting out uh, the chapters of Vatican Assassin on a, on a like three times weekly podcast because I had the time at that point in time. I hadn't gotten back to work yet. And just started to build up an audience around the world by by podcasting my book. After about almost a year of that, I was at a, a con, a convention called PyCon in Western Massachusetts, and I was on a podcasting panel with this guy who said, "You know, there's other people doing that too. They've got this place called Podio Books. You should look them up." Mm-hmm. So. Um, then it, it was like that was the next step, the next level, because there were all those people that were kind of just starting out doing podcasting and putting their books out that were just a little bit ahead of where I was. You know, there was uh, Scott Sigler and Philippa Ballantyne and um, Seth Harwood and J.C. Hutchins. They were all, that, that whole crew was kind of already in place, and I was coming in a little bit late to the game, but got in all, you know, at a kind of an early point with – with patio books as well. So um, I got to ask you about the, the technical aspect too, because uh, we spoke with Seth Harwood and I actually talked to him off air about uh, some of the hardware aspects uh, and what he aspects and what he's using. And uh, apparently when he first started, he was using a noisy old laptop and he had to like put pillows over it. And then <laughs> he, he, then he now uh, he went through a couple of uh, expensive items until he realized that he just needed a, uh, like an H2 or an H4N zoom recorder. Which has no moving parts. Now, you look. I'm looking at your Skype picture here, and uh, it looks like you have access to some real gear. <laughs> well, unfortunately, that's my day job. That's the radio station. Okay, I, so how did you go about technically recording the? Because uh, they sound, they sounded the, the clips that I've heard uh, sound pretty good. I've actually just got a really high quality low end microphone that I, I bought at of all places Radio Shack. Oh, they still have them in the States? Well, yeah, but this was years ago. I picked it up, you know, back in, in 2006 when I right. was starting to do this. So I don't know what they have now. Um, but it was a pretty good quality mic. And I, I, I know mics from my job, so I know, right. I know what I could get away with cheap. And uh, I, I plug directly in. And I, I'll swear up and down, one thing that makes a big difference is what software you use. Mm-hmm. And I'm still using Cool Edit Pro, which is the forerunner to adobe audition okay and i I, it still works for me and it's got great noise reduction you just got to know what you're doing you got to kind of know um 
how to twiddle the the numbers down and up to to get the right sound and to take away any room sound that might be creating a problem. But I I, I do it all sitting in my kitchen. Yeah, cause I love it, me I love some Cool Edit. I was using Cool Edit like you know seven eight years ago. Yeah, I mean it's all the essentials are still in that program. They've added a lot of bells and whistles with Adobe Audition over the years, but I don't need them for my podcast for my recording. It's you amazing know, how low the the barriers to entry are in terms of cost and equipment and so on to to podcasting. It is, it is. A, it's a it's a it's a potential game changer, as they say. Yeah, but you know, for for a lot of uh, authors, uh, it, it the ones that don't have the technical know how to buy the right microphone and maybe don't have a speaking voice, kind of like me. I don't have the speaking voice, but we try anyways. But um, you know. It's expensive to to hire a, a company to produce an audiobook. I mean, sometimes you're looking at you know tens of thousands of dollars, depending who you want to narrate for you. So uh, you know, it, it's kind of cool that uh, someone like yourself, Mike, could uh, produce this all yourself. Well, I, I I wanted to play to my own strengths. I was like, well, what can I do mm-hmm. with the talents I have to promote this other thing to to follow this other dream I have? And so that's it. Just kind of came together naturally for me. Brilliant. So, gentlemen, uh, let's take a quick break because we're about halfway point here and we'll continue. And Mike, uh, will you stay with us for the rest of the show? Sure, that'd be great. I'd love to stick around. Excellent, excellent. We'll talk some other books and stuff. Maybe we'll come back to talking about some podcasting and uh, we'll be right back. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Hi. Now that I've got your attention, I'd like to tell you about a great little podcast. Well, okay. It's called Seventh Row Center, and it's hosted by me, Alex the Movie Guy. I work for Kaiser Soze. Anyway, every week I get together with Weekly Animated's David Hickson. These men are the leaders of a terrorist organization wanted for the abduction of a little monkey. Well, no. We're movie opinionists who give our thoughts about films new and old. Once again, things that could have been brought to my attention yesterday! Check out our show. It's called Seventh Row Center, and it's part of the Bear Crawling Nation. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Hi, this is Colin Ferguson. I play Sheriff Jack Carter on Eureka, and you're listening to The Book Guys. Go, Habs, go! I got I to cut that go, Habs, go out of the Colin Ferguson's uh, thing there. <laughs> this is, uh, we're, 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 uh, we're recording in Toronto here. <laughs> I'm a Bruins fan, man. Jeez. <laughs> Isn't the uh, isn't the NHL playoffs just limited to American teams at this point? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm re- <laughs> uh, that's right. Oh, well, we'll stay on science fiction just because uh, we can. Science fiction. So, Mister Middleton, professor. Yes, sir. The professor himself. Uh, seems like we both read the same book. And it is yeah, called. You, uh, and uh, you even saw the uh, one of the authors at the at the con. That's right. For those of you uh, who heard the our, our special in the Toronto Comic Con, I was actually, uh, I know Greg, you know that I was about to go home, uh, and I was yes. like, well, there's no no stars from the show Doctor Who. Why would I stick around? I don't know. And then I, I found out that the author was there, and I said, what the hell? I'll stick around. It was a really good panel. Uh, that was Graham Burke, and uh, he writes this book with a gentleman named Robert Smith? Question mark. This guy has a question mark on his name, so he's obviously a Doctor Who fan. Uh, and I, I've never read one of these before. Uh, this is a, a an unofficial uh, episode guide to the whole new series of the show, and I've never actually uh, purchased a, an episode guide. I never thought that 
you know, especially since I've, I've watched every show in all six of these seasons, um, why would I want an episode guide? And I'm like 98% through the book now. I tell you, I, I, I'm a, you know, as I said in the, in the review I, I put on the site, I'm a sucker for episode guides. I've read them for X-Files and Babylon 5 and Alias and, and various shows. And, and they, uh, the unofficial ones uh, are usually more interesting. You know, the official ones is tend to be, you know, written by the yeah. you know, public relations. Stock answers and, yeah. Yeah. But the, the unofficial ones, they re- you know, you can really get some insight and, 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 and uh, interesting uh, commentaries and thoughts. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, and, and they sprinkle tidbits throughout the whole thing, uh, not related to that particular episode or anything, but uh, I'm reading just here, the, just the theme song, I knew that it was the first, one of the first, if not the first electronic songs ever created, but I didn't realize that uh, the lady who uh, put it together mm. uh, from Ron Grainer's uh, composition, um, she didn't even have a synthesizer. There were no synthesizers. She used a, uh, what's that thing called? A, it's an oscillator, I believe it's called. Mm-hmm. You know, oscilloscope. Oscilloscope, thank you. Right. So she just generated, uh, you know, twisted the knobs on the oscilloscope to get each sound and then recorded it on reel-to-reel tape, chopped it up, <laughs> laid it out in the hallway at the BBC and actually put the theme song. And we were talking about Cool Edit Pro, Mike. <laughs> this is not Cool Edit Pro. This is so not Cool Edit Pro. <laughs> They're literally walking up and down the hallway, putting uh, you know little sections of the song together. And uh, it was 1963, the first electronic song on uh, aired on television or film. And some of that, she was uh, yes, it slowed down some of it, sped up some of it. Really took the sounds, you know, then created a pretty memorable. Uh, not in the book, but tune from the uh, the sound effect for the uh, the police box is a Heidelberg windmill. No, it's not. It's a Heidelberg. Yes, it's Heidelberg windmill press. The rotation slowed down. We're familiar with those, Greg. You're kidding me, right? No, it's a die cutting press. All right. I thought it, I thought it was the parking brake in the TARDIS. Yeah, that's right. According to the show, it's the the parking brake that he always leaves on accidentally. So what do you think, Alan, uh, going through this one? I mean, this is my first uh, episode guide, but uh, get some new insights into each episode. What I, to me, one one of the the, yeah, the strengths of this one in particular was I, I like the back and forth between the two authors when they got to the, you know, their review portions right. of, the, of the episodes. And of course, they're fans. So on on average, they're going to like you know the episode. Oh, but they, they um, had a couple. Yeah, you're right. They had a couple where they really didn't agree. <laughs> they had a couple very strong disagreements, and and e, 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 even when they agreed, whether an episode was bad or or what it was good, but even even when they agreed, you know they were bringing different things to the table and noticing different things and focusing on different things. So you know that aspect of it, and sort of having those uh, two sets of eyes, you know. Look at all the episodes. I thought brought a real depth, uh, you know, to this uh, book in particular. Yeah, and they, and they got a thumb up from uh, thumbs up from Neil Gaiman on this one, right on the front cover. So can't can't beat that. Can't go wrong with that. Yeah, who is the Doctor by Graham Burke and Robert Smith? I, I know I'm, I'm looking for one. Uh, maybe you would know, Professor. Al. I'm looking for one for the show Fringe. I don't know if there's any good ones out there. Hmm, and I've not uh, not not run across one, but it that, that again should certainly be be uh, ripe for it. You yeah, know, with all of the with all the backstory, and ten the different universes, various and timelines. universes. I would think <laughs> that would be uh, that would be one that would uh, 
I'm surprised that, that show that is actually still on the air. Of, uh, coverage. Uh, they're going for one more season. I'm surprised it's still in the air because usually when a show gets uh, fractionally like, complicated, they pull it because the ratings yeah. go down. People can't follow the story. And Fringe has about 10 different opening sequences for different colors, for different universes and timelines. Could definitely use an episode guide. It's it's nice that they uh, that they gave the show you know a, I, I I guess enough time to wrap it up is that the theory they gave it a last an official last season yeah just to help wrap up the that's, story because you know a lot, too many shows get canceled mid story mm-hmm. you know and if it's not like one of these episodic you know each each story is uh, encapsulated per episode you know if you're if you're following a timeline on a show for seven years and then it just stops midway ah uh, of course that's that's one of the tricks that TV creators have now is to, to throw in all of those cliffhangers to try to get a next season or a That's right. part of a season. I was, I was actually reading uh, an episode guide or a book about the TV show uh, Twin Peaks back in the early 90s. Okay. And uh, the, the season one finale of Twin Peaks, uh, the, the creator and the writer said, we threw, and, you know, we threw every possible cliffhanger we could. There were fires and gunshots and every you know, every crazy thing they could think of. Uh, just in, so they had to be the, renewed <laughs> into the season finale, just to say, you know, you really need to give us another season to finish this up, and it worked. <laughs> uh, so, Mister Mister Ott, have you uh, ever listened to uh, read a uh, an episode guide for anything? I read the uh, the closest I came to that was the Saturday Night Live uh, live from New York. Uh, it yeah. wasn't so much. An that was an interesting guy. book was, too. That was a great. That was a great book. That was well put together. And uh, I, I mean, I have to be really. I don't think I'm as fanatic about anything as you are, Paul. You you, you do tend to go to extremes in your fanaticism <laughs> for things. So uh, I mean, and that's a, that's a good thing for you. And certainly, uh, you know, Doctor Who is not u- unique in that. It has a lot well, of people who are absolutely nuts. We're like the we're the it. geeks of geeks. You are the geeks of geeks. We're the geeks right. who are shunned by geeks, who but are in turn Doctor shunned who, by humanity. It scared me. That's the one. That's the one I used to, you know, jump behind the couch when the when the. I can't remember what the show was that was on just before it, but I used to watch that. No, I used to watch a show just after Doctor Who, and I I couldn't tune in too early because the, the end <laughs> you would catch the cliffhanger with the monsters yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd catch the end with the monsters and I'd catch that music and it would freak me out it was just bubble wrap Greg especially the old yeah. series it was just bubble wrap guy moving around in it cardboard coming at you there, there are uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of Doctor Who related uh, podcasts and there's uh, one I listen to called The Doctor's Companion mm-hmm. that that reviews both the new shows when those are on, right. you know, but now in the sort of in, in the, the slow period, they go back and, and review some of the older, those classic ones that we may have seen first time around. And it's so funny listening to those, those hosts talk about it where you get these really scary cliffhangers and then, you know, the first 10 seconds of the next episode, it's disposed of wasn't really, really quickly. a cliffhanger, you know. <laughs> the the you doctor know, hits him with a hammer. It wasn't really pointing. It was on a spaceship somewhere else, or <laughs> all the doctor had to do was turn around and he could, you know, get out of whatever. Right. You know, the, the, the monster wasn't that close. Not as bad as the old uh, Flash Gordons, you know, the black and whites, where literally you would see the car fly off the cliff and explode, and that would be the cliffhanger. And then the next week, the car would just narrowly miss the guardrail and stay on the road. 
So they, <laughs> they, they would like re, they would do the, the first type of, uh, what do you call it, retconning was back then. They'd uh, <laughs> change the continuity. Like, oh, well, it didn't explode. Are you crazy? He just missed it. Those yeah, old they, Doctor Whos, though, were scary in their day. Like when you were a kid watching those at that point, like when Tom Baker was the doctor, they, they had him almost contemporaneously over here on uh, PBS in Boston. And I was watching those as a, as a young, you know, 10 or 11-year-old kid. And, right. And they were legitimately scary. It was great. Yeah, yeah. And, and in the new series now, uh, it was, a, what, two years ago, I think? Uh, uh, going back to, your, uh, you know, the Vatican assassin, uh, I mean, the Vatican has a, a whole army now in Doctor Who. Oh, I see. I missed that. <laughs> yeah. So the, 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 the whole of the Vatican army is uh, looking for his wife. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> because the because the church has moved on, they said. Ah, well, see, I'm I'm more an old school Doctor Who guy. I'm 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 a Tom <laughs> Baker era fan. So Tom yeah. Baker, uh, he was actually a construction worker uh, and trying to get acting jobs when he got that job. Uh, he's a, he's a bit of a comedian too. He's, the the reason uh, it was actually in the panel. I, I asked the question. I go, "What do you think about the rumor of a female Doctor Who?" And and, and the Graham Burke, the author of this book, said. Uh, said, yeah, that was Tom Baker. As he was announcing that he wasn't going to be a doctor anymore, he said, uh, and I'm sure whoever is going to fill my shoes, he or she, because he's being a clown, right? So ever since then, every year, every time they're changing actors, someone thinks, oh, it's going to be a girl. <laughs> and that is, that's fun. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do another one for the show and I'm definitely going to look for a fringe one. And, uh, you know, it was fun. And, I, and I've actually started... You know, slowly here and there, uh, going back and looking over the episodes again with uh, new new eyes because I've got so much information out of this. Uh, pretty cool. I'll try another episode guide. Yeah, like you say, you know, sci-fi shows are you know, especially you know, f- fans of sci-fi shows tend to live up to that fan right stands the f- for fanaticism. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, I think the classic episode guide, at least online, was Lurker's Guide to Babylon Five. Absolutely, that There's was a, just know, fantastic. And and a lot of that was written by the, or certainly had co- contributions from the show's creator, J. Michael Straczynski. Was ba- Babylon Five is a huge involved show with yeah. a lot of the online stuff, and that was early. I mean, it was the mid '90s, and and they were doing a little bit of stuff online, pr- primitive in retrospect, but but they still have a huge fandom online. Babylon Five, and uh, kind of like the, the Doctor Who when it when it got canceled in the '80s. The fandom, the fanaticism kept going. More books, more books, more fan fiction was made, and they kind of kept it alive. It's the only reason it's back again now. Uh, same with Babylon 5. I mean, huge online fan fiction and websites popping up still to this day. There's still a Babylon 5 podcast, for Christ's sake. That's right. How do you That's- feel that these, these uh, compare with, say, for instance, director's commentaries, if you were going to purchase a series? Like, I, I like to watch my t- television you know, I'd like to watch the entire series all at once. So if I buy the DVD and I listen to the director's commentary, do you feel that that's comparable to these, uh, comment these? Uh, yeah, it, it, it is kind. It's kind of like, uh, well, although it doesn't companion, uh, it doesn't accompany the show from second to second like a commentary might. But yeah, it's kind of like uh, getting that little inside information on, you know, right. why this happened, why that scene happened, and actually, the BBC used to put out. Uh, director's commentary uh, they did in the first season of the new show uh they put it on itunes uh and they, they had stars from the show or the makeup guy or the writer uh, do a commentary but they they cut that out i think after a while in uh yeah battlestar galactic at least towards the end the last few seasons 
uh, uh, Ron Moore, the creator, would do a podcast um, that would come out the day of the the day the new episode came out. So you could you know DVR watch the episode right you know free of commentary if you wanted to and then and then rewatch start it. it right back up again and the next hour you could listen to it with the commentary. Yeah, that's, so that's why I so like the Doctor the, Who commentary. You didn't even have to wait for the DVD. Right, because they would come out time and day with the show, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's right. That would Give, be really cool. <laughs> it gives us nerds a reason to watch the show twice in the same two hours. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm, I'm, I'm sure those both count in the uh, DVR ratings, too. <laughs> now, so my, Mike, the master plan. Mike's got to do a commentary now for the making of uh, the Vatican Assassin, so we can listen to the, each podcast episode. <laughs> and then, <laughs> that'd be fun. Now, uh, see, if somebody makes a, a Hollywood movie out of Vatican Assassin, I'd be happy to provide the commentary. So <laughs> Nice. <laughs> That's the incentive they're probably looking for right now. Now the phone's going to start ringing. <laughs> they awesome. you know, we, we were going to give Luoma a couple million dollars, but if he just wants to do the commentary, okay. Yeah, That's no a problem. fair deal. <laughs> Let's do a little bit of... Just because we can. Mr. Greg, you posted this one on the site pretty much uh, same day it happened, I think. Uh, Maurice Sendak. Yeah. Passed away. Sad one. Yeah. Passed away at age 83 from complications after a stroke. And he's the author of Where the Wild Things Are. Where Wild Things Are, yeah. Have you seen the movie, Greg? Made from his book? I did did not see the movie. Oh. I I did not. See, you're the books on film and television guy. I saw Avengers. Does that count? That does count. date that came out and left you behind. <laughs> but just trying to get my cred back, that's all. <laughs> it feels deflated after you ask me a question like that. No, I didn't see where the wild things are. <laughs> I did see a really cool illustration of the Avengers as uh, as if drawn by Maurice Sendak. It was kind of a tribute. Oh, very nice. Wow. Very yeah. nice. And uh, well, we might as well talk about the Avengers. It's, uh, wow, close to a billion dollars now worldwide. Yeah, it's going to roll up there pretty soon. Yeah, and I heard a lot of a lot of commentary from some. Uh, I mean, I don't know what the Rotten Tomato is now, but I think they're doing very well. Uh, this is hard producing, checking Rotten Tomatoes and talking at the same time. Um, yeah, so some of the reviews were mentioning, well, this is too much of a comedy, and we were talking about before the show. Well, have you ever read an Avengers comic book? Yeah, <laughs> they're supposed to be comedy. The Hulk is making jokes while smashing. This is how it works. So they've got a 93% score on. Uh, wow. wow. I'm just taking uh, audience score. 96%. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the killer right there. Wow. 96 for the audience. 93 for the, uh, the critic score. How does uh, that? Wow. <laughs> if you have a 96 and a 93, how does that average down to 93? I don't know. Uh, I think they just value the certified, uh, you know, uh, critics over the that's, audience. That's just bad maths. We need to get them a, a math textbook. Yeah. Well, I, we've, there's been worse before in Rotten Tomatoes as they, they change their algorithm for movies. I mean, uh, there's been times when, you know, the audience score is like 79 or 85% and the critic score is 30 and it'll, it'll, it won't even show up in the front page of the, of the site. So because it got 18 rotten, uh, seriously, it got 18 rottens out of 258 for the critics as opposed to the 302,000 plus likes <laughs> in the audience, <laughs> it gets rated down to a 93. But does, does anyone, uh, val- uh, when you go to Rotten Tomatoes, which number do you look at, Greg? 
I, mean, I look at the audience. Yeah, because there's such a yeah, disconnect definitely. now between some critics and you know the things that they're. This is why a lot of people listen to the Book Guys show rather than reading the New York Times review because they might be poo-pooing <laughs> a book that's great. You know. They might not even know that an assassin exists. <laughs> the thing is, I don't. I don't go to a. I don't go to a movie as a movie critic. I go to a movie, right. even though I'm here on the podcast, and I do have somewhat of a duty to come back and, and talk about books on film and television in, in a critical manner. I'm still there to be entertained, and if I'm entertained, then I liked it. Right. I'm not there to talk about continuity or pacing or anything like that. If it. it it was too dark. It was too this. Right. And, and I can be as critical as the next person, actually. I can probably, it's hereditary, and I can probably be more critical than the next person. But <laughs> if I'm entertained, I'm going to give it a good mark, and that's it. I'd rather hear somebody like you guys talking about a movie and make my judgment based on that than some of the critics I've run across. So, Yeah, because, you know, uh, it's kind of like, like here. We, we don't, I don't why, try not to talk. I, I, I'm not critiquing a book. I'm bringing books that I enjoyed and I want to talk about. Uh, I'm not, if I didn't like who was the doctor, I probably wouldn't even talk about it. Why would I waste everyone's time, right? I mean, uh, but a critic typically will nitpick a movie to death and give it a bad score and, you know, the audience just enjoyed it. <laughs> I, well, I don't, really, don't understand how you can go and watch the Avengers and not enjoy it. It just doesn't make sense to me. And if you enjoyed it, you should just, you should mark it up. Unless you, you, okay. you thought you were going to watch some British spies. You know, you you walked into the wrong Avengers movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're like, where's the guy? He takes off the mask and where's the where's the hot chick in the leather outfit? I don't. Right. Uh, By the way, there's still. Yeah, I went to see Avatar and I was looking for a little bald guy with a stick that was going to set things on fire. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is what is this? These people are green. <laughs> yeah, well, you know the the Avengers has got to the point to where you know it's it's so unpopular to say that it sucks. The last movie that was, you know, that had this much word of mouth was uh, when The Hangover came out, and everybody said, "Oh my God, it's the funniest movie you've ever seen. You've got to go see it." And I didn't go. I didn't go. I didn't go. It finally came out on DVD, and I'm like, you know, this movie was definitely not as funny as everybody thought it was. And mm-hmm. you know, uh, it would have probably been very unpopular if I had went and seen it and told everybody how disappointed I was. And you know, that's kind of the way I feel. I might come out of the Avengers. That's I would find I the negative. That's how I feel about Bridesmaids. Same thing. I went and saw Bridesmaids and said, I don't get it. I mean, I'm a huge Kristen Wiig fan. I think she's incredibly talented and funny, but meh. It was oh. funny-ish. Good. It was good, but not not the way everybody was raving about it. Bridesmaids, you really took one for the team there, pal. <laughs> Date right. <laughs> we got more comic book news, gentlemen. Uh Comicsology, the iOS app, uh, which is selling tons of comics, uh, has just hit 65 million downloads. And it's by far the most popular uh, way to buy comic books on a digital device right now. Uh, they've just announced that uh, their downloads across platform, again, 65 million. And uh, that's just a huge amount of content delivered. Because that, that's just apps, app downloads. Wow. So you can imagine if each person downloaded 10, 10 comics each, that's 650 million comics. So a great way to actually read comics on the iOS devices anyways. Uh, and I believe they're now cross-platform, uh, or they're, they're working on going to Android and other platforms. And uh, wow, even Marvel is selling a lot through the Comixology app, I believe. 
I was looking back at uh, back on the uh, on the Avengers on on the comic book side. I was looking at the April sales figures, mm-hmm. and there are in in the top fifteen comics for uh, for April, five of them had the word Avengers in the title. Right. In, 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 <laughs> now, uh, Alan, are they one, counting one the digital more, downloads so. now in the in the in the totals there? I don't believe so. I don't hmm. think so. I, that is, that uh, would be different. A different because uh, I know Mar- Marvel now is a day, a day of release in stores, which I believe now they change it to Tuesdays. Uh, mm-hmm. It's same day release on on Comixology and on the Marvel app, which is basically just Comixology with the Marvel name on it. Uh, I've got a question: Is Mario Van Peebles connected to any of these other uh, Avengers projects? Mario? Not that I know of. Not that I know of. No. All right. I know he's the king of coming out with like Titanic three. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Right about right about the time that the big movie's coming out. Well, there was a lot. Of, there was the West Coast Avengers, the East Coast Avengers, the Avengers, and <laughs> yeah, they can keep going crazy with that. Now there's the Secret Avengers, the New Avengers, Ultimate Avengers, Avengers. Assemble. <laughs> They're still doing it. The big, um, the big Marvel uh, event that's going on now is Avengers versus X Men. Ooh, nice! Ooh. <laughs> I'm, I'm like resisting. A, well, it's, you know, it's the what, week, the week of the geek, the week of the geek. Yes, right. and you know what? The Marvel's going to keep going with this property because uh, once they get their license back for Spider Man and for X Men, which I don't believe they're allowed to make uh, movies with their own studio right now because of licensing. But you're looking at uh, Spider-Man and X-Men uh, and uh, Wolverine, who have both been Avengers in the comic books, that if you throw those two guys into the mix, they're going to make $2 billion next time they make an Avengers movie. Actually, they say they're not going to do that. They say uh, Marvel says they're not going after those properties unless they just revert back. Well, maybe they just like the yeah. millions of dollars they're getting from the properties. Well, they're, they're talking about developing other stuff like Doctor Strange, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Ant-Man. They're talking about going after some of these other characters. Vatican Assassin. Hey, let's get that in there. Come yeah. on, just get it in there. Well, as far as comic books go, Sovereign, you know, or Alibi Jones. or <laughs> the, the Spider-Man one, by, Red Hot. My, uh, by my understanding, the Spider-Man property reverts back if they don't make a movie every two years isn't that the agreement well at least we can look forward to a lot of spider-man there's a lot that's why they had to reboot or something Uh, so you know sony's eventually going to make a a, you know a bat spider-man with nipples like they did with the batman series what was that thing called batman forever batman and robin Robin. you can get spider-man stuff on think geek too. Did you know that? <laughs> oh, oh, that was a, huddle, a subtle hint to do this. The Think Geek item of the week from thinkgeek.com. Every week when I remember to do so because Greg <laughs> slips me a huge hint, we talk about a Think Geek item of the week. I guess, Greg, you got one for us. All right. May is Think Geek uh, t-shirt month. It's, it's They're having a big t-shirt sale. Buy one, get one 50% off. So I picked two t-shirts that I think are pretty awesome. One is going to be uh, book-related. It is your Lannister, Lannister 2012 uh, election shirt. <laughs> Keep it in the family. Keep it in the family. <laughs> reference to... Everyone uh, hates the Lannisters, and their favorite character is a Lannister. <laughs> Tyrion, yeah. And the other one, and this one's just for you and me, me uh, Paul. Uh, it's your standard... No, I will not fix your computer T-shirt. <laughs> I had one. I wore it out. I wore it out. I We've swear to God, I, I've owned that one and I've worn one. it out. 
People come in the shop like, uh, you know, you're always asking me and Greg, can we fix our computer? Like, no, buy a Mac. Go away. No, buy a Mac. <laughs> and you know what? I, I can fix my here's, – here's the thing. I can fix my computer, but I intentionally don't so that when people come in and say, hey, can you fix my computer? I say, no, I can't. When my computer's <laughs> broken, I take it to so-and-so, even though I could do it. But just so I can say, no, I take it over to Lewis. And all you got to do, folks, to get a, a exclusive deals and whatnot is go to bookguys.ca slash thinkgeek, and that's where you can find all the good stuff. We'll post it there. The Think Geek item of the week from thinkgeek.com. No, we will not fix your computer. Sorry. And uh, let's not forget, folks, that you can also go to audibletrial.com slash bookguys, and you can get a free book and a free 30-day trial of their service, uh, which I love. I can't speak for the book guys or uh, Mr. Mike Luoma. But, you can pick uh, up Alibi Jones with that free book. Ooh, you know? a f- for free even. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Audible, you get 30 days free. Uh, you can get Mike's book. Friends of our show who come back once in a while. Uh, friend Spencer Brokaw, the young author who wrote The Impenetrable Spy. A recent guest on our show. He uh, has started a new website with a few other writers called Ink Slingers Press, and it's inkslingerspress.wordpress.com, and it's uh, being uh, put together by authors Spencer Brokaw, Elise Stokes, John Riken, Martin Gibbs, Monica Laporta, and Verid Ehsani, and their main goal is to provide writing tips, writing news, and support indie authors. So check that out, authors. And uh, another news story we posted on the site. One of the mysterious characters from President Obama's 1995 autobiography, Dreams from My Father, uh, he's admitted that his mysterious New York girlfriend was actually just a composite character based off multiple girlfriends he had, both in New York City and in Chicago City. So that's uh, Obama yeah. kind of admitting to fibbing a little bit in his uh, autobiography. It's not cool sometimes when you're in the nonfiction section. Technically, you're not supposed to put fiction into your audience. Like, you can't give yourself a rocket ship when you were five and, you know, He's also com- combine to people. Lay, lay in the pipe pretty wide there. <laughs> He's laying the pipe, my friend. Laying the pipe. And that's all the book news I have for this week, other than, oh, we still have one more. We have Mario Puzo. Oh, we have The Family Corleone, my friend, by Ed yeah. Falco, published on May 8th. I've been actually, that's the next book I'm reading. I've got the. It was almost not published. A uh, little bit of a court matter. Uh, something to do with uh, Paramount and... Uh, who wants Paramount again? Uh, Cheney, Viacom. Cheney, Viacom, thank you. <laughs> Paramount, Cheney, Viacom, right. Uh, but an initial agreement they've made, uh, still in court, but allows the publication of the novel to go forward. This will be the third, I believe. The, well, yeah, it's Godfather 1, 2, 3. This would be uh, 5, I believe, because they did put another one out before this. Uh so yeah, it's it's out. It's in stores. It's being printed. It's on Amazon, and they're going to figure out everything else out later. And as far as who right, knows who so like. so all the proceeds from this are going in escrow right now That's until right. they just until they figure out who's actually entitled to the to the basically to the money from the book. Um, they almost didn't get the last one out, but uh, it went out. This is as far as I can tell. This is. It could even be the sixth, Paul. It's a little bit uh, sketchy. There's a whole bunch there, yeah. Yeah, but they have uh, they have published. Da, 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 da. Uh, they this published like at the least Avengers once thing, you know? since yeah. Mario Puzo died. Yeah, the Revenge. 
They're, they're milking that Godfather franchise as much as they can without Paramount suing them, <laughs> which they have. Which they have now, yeah. Right. So it's basically tricky. they're saying that... Say, he, he wrote some semi-sequels while he was alive, but they weren't the basis for the films, and then there were probably... Then when the films were made, there were novelizations of the films written by other people, so the yeah, the legalities seem to have gotten quite confused as to who owns what characters and et cetera. Right, and Paramount seems to seems to believe that they actually do have the the publishing rights, but the family is is basically saying again, the gist of their argument is that once their once the father passed away, the publishing rights went fell back to the to the estate. Right. So. Hmm. The Godfather. Well, I'll look forward to reading the book anyways by Ed Falco, and uh, maybe we'll see another movie soon. Is Francis Ford Coppola still with us? He could still pump out another one. He is. He is. And, that uh, would be books on film and television, though. Oh, do we have some more? I can, I can always play the jingles. What I do. If you, if you, if, I've got some stuff if you've got some time. I've got some jingles if you've got some stuff. Books on film and television. It works out that way. Um, we talked about this, I think, in episode three or four, and we we're trying to figure out what the hell they were going to do with the book that they brought to film called What to Expect When You're Expecting. Right, because that's a pregnancy guide. It's a pregnancy guide <laughs> uh, written by Heidi Murkoff. And uh, so you have two screenwriters who, who have gone in on this, uh, Heather Hatch and Shauna Cross. Ridiculous cast. I mean, an all-star cast. And it, uh, what did they do? They, uh, they screened it last, uh, last night or a couple nights ago, and apparently people like it. So I think there's going to be a get-dragged-to-the-movie-by-your-date movie. and It's definitely, yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, it's no. gonna, a lot of guys going to be scared off by the whole pregnancy topic. <laughs> I get what you're saying. It's my next date night movie, I bet. Uh, Mike, would you go, go see a book based on a uh, pregnancy guide? Oh, uh, hmm. <laughs> maybe an alien baby? I don't know. Oh, that would, it's either, you can always write that in. That's great. I don't know. What else you got there? No, no pregnancies Friday. in any of my books. I just oh, realized this, that. This is coming out next Friday. Wow. Yeah, it comes out next Friday. Well, we'll see what happens. We'll report on the show. <laughs> it's got to do better than, uh, what's her name's movie? Uh, Hannah Banana. What's oh, the one, oh, the one <laughs> what's her just name? released? Miley Cyrus. Miley Cyrus. She sold 40,000 tickets. We, why didn't she just go straight to, straight to tape on that one, straight yeah. to DVD? <laughs> we really so should do a movie podcast at some point. Uh, books on film and television, my friend, uh, dance of dragons. You finished? What do you think? What are your thoughts? I know you're in book five. I've finished book five. I, you know that I almost, even your sky picture gave me a funny look when I said that. (laughs) What's that? Your sky picture gave me a funny look when I asked that Mm. question. (laughs) I'm not, if I wasn't, I don't know. I, it just, it, it's mind boggling. I, I, I don't get the fanboydom of this, and I'm I'm about to stand up and point and try to say, "Excuse me, the emperor has no clothes on." I don't understand. I'm I don't understand what everybody's raving about this book. I I, I I I think the general assessment of this book, the fifth book, was that it was not worth the wait. I think there yes. was some. I think once he got past the 
know, the first few weeks of people, you know, fanboys and fangirls being so excited that they actually had a new book for the first time in five or six years, whatever it's been, that, um, you know, it was, uh, it was not quite up to the, to the uh, standards of the prior novels, I think, is the consensus. I, I feel we, like I reviewed number four a couple weeks ago when we had Tom and Veronica on and I, I'll allow him the odd, you know, one novel, one, you know, 1000 plus page right. novel to reload the series and sow some more seeds so we can reap more uh, quests, more excitement in, in books to come. But we're still sowing, we're still planting seeds. We're still, um, it's got to be a payoff. Just, there's, <laughs> no, there's no payoff. payoff. There's no payoff. It's boring <laughs> as all. <laughs> uh, explicit tag. It's boring. You know what that means. <laughs> it is that time, gentlemen. Uh, thank you very much, Mike. Mike Luoma from GlowInTheDarkRadio.com. Alan Middleton, Greg Ott, Sir Jimmy. Say bye, everybody. Bye. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Hey, next week, Brian Brushwood on the show. That's right. Join us next week, Brian Brushwood. Same book time, same book channel. Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Paul the Book Guy will be back next week. Same book time, same book channel. Thank you.